ABMP Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals is proud to sponsor the interdisciplinary podcast from Heal Well. Massage therapists and body workers who join ABMP get meaningful resources that make a difference in your career, including free online CE courses, online scheduling included with the ABMP Pocket Suite app, and comprehensive liability insurance that provides protection and peace of mind. Can't get enough podcast inspiration and information? Listen for the ABMP podcast with regular guest hosts Ruth Werner and Allison Denny. Discover why members expect more and get more at abmp.com. Welcome to Season 10 of Interdisciplinary, where we are discussing education and regulation in massage therapy. Um, So, I'm Corey Rivera. With us, as always, is Rebecca Sturgeon, although Rebecca is having Wi-Fi issues, so we'll have Rebecca for as long as we have her. Um, I'm going to start with a pun, and then I'm going to introduce our special guest. So, drumroll, please. Why couldn't the sesame seed leave the poker table? Oh, I don't know. He was on a roll. (laughs) Ah, Rebecca laughed. Oh, God. (laughs) You know, sometimes with these puns, and I'm editing the, when I'm editing the episode, I think, does this deserve a rim shot? (laughs) (laughs) No. No, it does not. That's all right. It's going to get one anyway. Um, Our special guest today is Gordon McDonald. Gordon yeah. is the associate director. Is that correct? Executive, no, I'm the executive, executive director. director. Way yeah. better. Hey. Executive director at the Registered Massage Therapist Association of British Columbia. Hello, Gordon. Hi, and I'm also the chair of the Canadian Massage Therapy Association. Gordon has many jobs and many hats. Yeah. <laughs> and so, why don't you tell us? I know you've Gordon has been on the podcast before for longtime listeners. May sound familiar, but. Um, Maybe remind our listeners in your roles um, mm. what you do and what, what is do. it. So, yeah. as the uh, as the chair of the uh, CMTA, uh, I work with uh, all of the uh, other associations across Canada that are both in regulated and unregulated provinces. So we have ten ten associations in the CMTA. Um, We have an executive management team that uh, has been working on a a couple of uh, projects. In fact, uh, the CMTA just recently uh, uh, has partnered with the Massage Therapy Foundation um, so that, uh, in fact, we have a a sort of a a pan-North American uh, research component now, which is kind of cool. The RMTBC, who I'm the executive director with, um, we've had a partnership with the MTF for quite some time. And so that's going to continue on along with the uh, partnership now with the, the Canadian National Group. So, so there's a couple of things we're doing. We're, we're looking at GST exemption across Canada for massage therapy. We have a, a federal tax that is uh, put in place and most healthcare professionals uh, don't um, have a GST exemption. Unfortunately, massage therapy doesn't currently. Uh, and now that we have five provinces in Canada that are regulated, that's one of the door openers that allows for um, 
a GST exemption application to be made. So, so that's that's on the books as well. So, few things going on. All right, yeah, a little bit. Into, we're already into acronym soup. I love it. And cats. And cats. Cal Cates has joined us as a surprise. Gordon, so good to see you. I okay. have to say that talking about taxes is a very exciting thing about a very mundane topic. Um, but that's pretty great that you guys are pushing for that and that you have an exemption at all. That's very cool. Yeah, well, we um, the it's interesting because depending upon which province you're practicing in, you're collecting anywhere from 5% to 15% federal tax on your that's, treatment. That's a lot uh, of difference. Yeah, and the, and the intent of getting exemption is really to open up the ability for the public to have more access to massage therapy. So it's it's not to you know, provide massage therapists with a big increase in, in their compensation. It's to, you know, that, that, that increase will come with the fact that one will have more patients and clients to uh, treat. Um, and by the same token, it opens up uh, uh, the opportunity for those individuals who may not necessarily be able to afford massage therapy, uh, the opportunity for that to happen. So be a win-win. Indeed. So since we're talking about regulation and education, um, let's talk regulation first, as I'm quite interested. So Gordon, you said that part of Canada is regulated and part of Canada is not, and you seem to be working in both worlds at the time. Right. So I, I'm probably one of the only people I know in, in the province of British Columbia who's actually been the registrar of a college of nursing. Um, and so as a regulator and a registrar, and then now as a uh, executive director for a uh, association that represents a, a uh, profession. So I've now seen both sides of the of the fence, <laughs> or worked on both sides of the fence. Um, and so it's 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 quite interesting. What, what I find interesting with with uh, massage therapy versus say nursing is the fact that you know in in nursing at least in Canada. Um, we have a national exam. Actually, we have the NCLEX exam, the same as in the United States for nurses. Um, there's a uh, national uh, curriculum and profile. Whereas in Canada for massage therapy, um, because of the unregulated provinces, we don't. There is no national exam. Um, there is a uh, an agreement to use a competency profile that was developed back in. 2016, 2017, um, so that the the basic uh, entry to practice uh, competencies are are similar across the board. But you know, there, there's there's certainly uh, you know there's a number of provinces that are working towards regulation. I think you recently had a guest speaker from Saskatchewan, Lori Green, yep. on, um, and so they've been working towards getting registration for quite some time. The same with uh, Manitoba. Um, Alberta is is currently in the throes of looking at uh, at regulation. Uh, the, the issue is is that you know like like anything I'm sure across uh, in in the United States no different than in Canada you know when when governments change um, you know the priorities change and so that's you know that's been one of the one of the hurdles around getting reg uh, regulation in in some of the provinces in Canada is the fact that it's you know in some for some governments yes we need that and other ones will. Why do we need that? We're not, you know, you're not creating a problem, right? And so, you know, and, and I think, you know, and it's fair to say that, you know, the the issue of, of regulation for massage therapy 
um, I know in one province that uh, when the government changed, one of the one of the comments that was made, and they were very close to getting getting um, regulation, was the fact that uh, well, what's the actual um, danger of massage therapy, you know, from a public perspective? And and unfortunately, you know, and I have to say this because we've had a number of these instances in British Columbia of sexual assault of, of patients, right? And so, you know, so so for, for some politicians, they look at that and say, well, do you really need to be regulated or should we just allow that to be left with the with law enforcement and let them deal with those those kinds of issues? So it's, it's you know, I think it, it, it's it's part and parcel of, of, of trying to, you know, deal with politicians who may not necessarily be clear as to, you know, what massage therapy is all about. Um, and, and the benefits that come from having it regulated. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, once the provinces are regulated, you know, once a profession is regulated, of course, that raises the bar. So you end up with, you know, you end up with people having to adhere to uh, standards, uh, you know, such as, you know, making sure that they're, you know, meeting their quality assurance requirements within, within you know, the uh, regulations that they now have. Uh, making sure that people are consistent in their practice, you know, by, you know, having practice guidelines, practice directives, all of those good things. So, you know, I think, I think it's, it's being able to educate the politicians and, and those decision makers of the fact that, you know, it goes beyond just, you know, the danger that, you know, a massage therapist may or may not cause to, to a client or patient, but to talk about how overall, it uh, it helps to uh, you know bring bring up the profession and, and and the practice in its entirety. Yeah, we have the same the same dynamic here. Show me that there's harm being done, and I'll talk to you about regulating, which is just sort of infuriating. Um, but I, I'm curious, did you guys? Or I'm curious if you already approached the. I know in BC there's a two tiered regulatory system, uh, and we don't have that anywhere in the States. And I'm curious if you can say more about how that emerged and how it functions. So, 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 so in, in, um, in British Columbia, back as far as uh, 2007, the uh, provincial government created the Health Professions Act. Um, and basically that was uh, to uh, basically have an umbrella legislation for all healthcare um, professions across the province. So prior to that, they used to have the Nurses Act, the Physician and Surgeons Act, so on and so forth. And so what it was to do is to say, okay, you know, it doesn't matter what your profession is when you're, you know, when you're dealing with certain things, it should all be the same, right? That the public ha has that expectation. So, so that, that, that has, you know, evolved over time. What's interesting in British Columbia is that recently the, um, the provincial government through the Ministry of Health, um, hired a fellow by the name of Harry Caton, who was a uh, regulatory guru in the United Kingdom. And he uh, was invited to come to British Columbia on behalf of the Ministry of Health to do a, um, a report on the College of Dental Surgeons. And the reason for that was the fact that there was a number of things concerning the public and, and the government, um, particularly around how that particular uh, college as a regulator was working. Um, and, it, and it went the gamut of everything from, you know, even though the colleges are there to protect the public interest, there were examples where uh, the board at the, of the day was, you know, more in tune with wanting to deal with the representing the, 
the benefits of the professions, not so much wanting to discipline somebody who had done something uh, untoward. So, so Caton created this report. It, it went to uh, went back to the ministry, and 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 in fact, uh, that led to him looking at the entire regulatory structure in British Columbia. So, there's been a number of consultations after his final report and recommendations. And so what's happened now is that um, as of a month and a half ago, the provincial government has now enacted a new Health Professions and Occupations Act. And so what that is, is that we currently have 23 um, professional colleges in the province that will be reduced to six. And so what will happen, and it's, and it's been happening over time, the, the College of Licensed Practical Nurses, the College of Registered Nurses, and the College of Registered Psychiatric Nurses have, have amalgamated, and they did that probably five years ago now. And so this will continue on. So the College of Massage Therapists and uh, Registered Massage Therapists in BC, it will be joined with the College of Naturopaths, the College of Chiropractors, um, the College of Acupuncturists to have the College of Integrated and Complementary Professions, uh, Health Professions. So that so that's going to be a new college that will be created. One of the things that is kind of you know I, I, I'm supportive of is the fact that in the past the colleges were very um, autonomous. In other words, although there was legislation that allowed them to, you know, to, that they had to abide by. There was still quite a bit of room there for them to go and do things that may or may not necessarily be in the interests of the public. So what's happened is with the new act, the Minister of Health will also be appointing a supervisor of the colleges. So the colleges will actually have not only will they you know report to the minister ultimately, but they will have uh, an oversight uh, by the supervisor who will be appointed by the Minister of Health to oversee each of the colleges and how they function. Um, and, and again, that part of that is, is, is because you have, you know, you've had colleges in the past that weren't necessarily uh, providing the resources for the practitioners to, you know, be competent and safe and ethical. Um, and so, you know, so this will, this will encourage that. Uh, it'll also hopefully uh, stymie the, uh, the, past where, um, you know, which led to the Caton report of around, you know, not necessarily doing things in the public's interest. So, so that's, that's happening now. There's certainly lots of dialogue uh, amongst the professions that are being, you know, directly affected, uh, including, you know, the massage, massage therapy. Um, and so I know my board has been supportive of the amalgamation. Um, you know, I think that, uh, there's something you know there's certainly some benefits to it there's also some uh, you know some questions are being raised i mean one of the one of the questions is that within the legislation is that the colleges will have to have a fund to support a person who was victimized by an individual registrant within that profession so obviously you know that could lead to registration costs going up um you know, the costs of hopefully that gets, um, you know, that's offset by the fact that you're, you know, the administration and that of say having five colleges under one umbrella now uh, may, may, uh, may be able to diminish the, you know, the costs that they were incurring as an individual organization. So there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that are going on. Um, 
the legislation itself was um, was sent to a uh, a tri-party uh, committee, which was made up of the two opposition parties in the province of British Columbia, and they were all supportive of the recommendations from Harry Caton. Um, there's been a little bit of pushback now because, of course, um, we have a new premier in the province and uh, the debate that was supposed to happen in the legislature around the enactment of the act uh, got cut short. <laughs> and so, so some people are are concerned that there should have been further consultation, um, uh, you know, amongst amongst all of us around that. And, and you know, we, sh we share some of those concerns as well. Um, but you know it, it is what it is, and we'll see we'll see how that all plays out. But uh, but that's probably the big regulatory issue in the province of British Columbia. And so, how does this consolidation of colleges affect the two tiers, or is is the two tier thing kind of now obsolete because of this change? Well, I'm not I'm not sure. That, I don't think we've ever had a two tier regulatory body. I mean, we've always had you know the, the government's been very clear that. Colleges are there for the public's interest. Associations are there to benefit the profession and advocate on behalf of the profession. Um, I think that you know, if, if one was to look at the, you know, I, I would say that I, I don't, there's never been a two-tier um, regulatory. So maybe board. my question is about there's RMT and then there's yes. something else. There are. RMTs and, and those are yeah so RMTs are regulated. Oh, I see. So there's regulated yeah. and unregulated. Correct. Yeah. And okay. So un, unregulated. So so in British Columbia and and in the other uh, provinces that are regulated, you are given uh, reserve titles. So in other words, so in British Columbia, um, the title of massage therapist, massage practitioner, registered massage therapist, registered massage practitioner, those are all restricted titles. And okay. only can be used by individuals who are registered with the college. If you um, are doing something, say, in a spa and you're not a member of the college, then you are basically a body worker. Um, or you, know, you may call yourself a relaxation therapist or whatever you would like to creatively think of calling yourself. But, you're, but you are limited to not using any of those other titles. Using any of those other titles would get you, you in trouble with the college for a misuse of the title, and the college can come after you, and uh, and in fact, uh, you can be jailed for, for doing that should you decide to go down that road. Okay, interesting. So it's funny, I, I um, our Patreons will get to see uh, your facial expression and such, but I think one of the big... Uh, I don't even know if I want to say debate is more like a lightning rod thing is this idea of relaxation being not so valuable or not so real uh, in terms of like where it fits into the giant umbrella of massage therapy. And that, you know, I'm curious about the like, what are the distinctions between an RMP or an RMT and an unregulated therapist in terms of what they're expected to know and in terms of what the public is expected to get from these different types right. of providers. So, so if if you look at an individual who is an RMT in British Columbia, that individual has taken a program that was is recognized by the professional college. So, so you, you know there there's a set there's a, a set uh, as I've said earlier the, a profile competency profile that the college is used to uh, the school they'll use that term for the schools to prepare the curriculum um, 
and there's you know and there's and the learning outcomes are based on those competencies uh, and then from that point that once that person has graduated from that program then they must write the provincial exam and it's a two-part exam uh, and then they also need to write a jurisprudence exam uh, in order to uh, make sure that they understand the rules and regulations that they're going to be um, practicing under those who are not part of the um, have not gone through a recognized program um, they can apply to the college, um, but they would be required to do a prior learning assessment and okay. they would be required to meet the same learning outcomes as an individual who had gone through a recognized program. And in most cases, um, they end up having to go and take the whole program. Mm -hmm. There's okay. such gaps in, 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 in their knowledge. Um, and so that's, so that's where that is. And of course, the other interesting part is that most of our third party, or I'd say all of our third party insurers in British Columbia and, and across Canada, for the most part, um, will not allow you to do direct billing um, unless you actually are registered with the college, if you're in a regulated province. Um, there are some some uh, insurers who, uh, you know, in unregulated provinces where they will require that the individual at least belong to the professional association. So they can use the association's um, membership number for their billing purposes. But in British Columbia, if you are not a uh, if you're not a, a registrant of the College of Massage Therapists, then uh, you won't be billing uh, third party insurers. Now, were you with RMTBC when the when the ability to bill through insurance happened? Because that's something that we're definitely not anywhere near establishing as a standard in the States. And I'm curious what I mean, certainly you have a higher education standard. Um, but what uh, how did that do you know how that came about and sort of what the road was to that reimbursement? So so the there. The, I wasn't I wasn't here at the time, but the the, the history as I, as I as I've been told was the fact that um, for many years, um, our, you know the, the College of, of, of Massage Therapy has been around for for quite a long time since 1990. Um, people have been in in have have had the college, and and prior to that, uh, massage therapists in British Columbia were members of the physiotherapy. Association and the Physiotherapy College, mm -hmm. uh, and then the government uh, separated the two. So, so that's always been there. Um, at one point, uh, probably in the late '90s, mid to late '90s, um, it used to be that um, uh, massage therapists could were on the medical services plan in British Columbia. So, so they were like, you know, going to the doctor or going wherever you were going. Uh, you know, to a health provider, you would, you know, you would, you, it would be covered by the provincial government's um, medical plan. Of course, because we have universal medical in Canada. Yes, there are a number of vehicles that uh, lower the barriers to entry there, <laughs> right. as compared with our system. So, yeah. So, yeah, so, 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 what? But what happened was in in that in that period of time the government took massage therapy away from MSP. And so at that point, then people needed to start using their extended health benefits, right? And so that's where the insurers come in. So, so one of the interesting parts is that uh, recently, um, again, uh, we have a uh, provincial in insurance agency for motor vehicle insurance, uh, ICBC, uh, the Insurance Corporation of British Columbia. And they have recently gone to no fault insurance. So in the past, 
it used to be that, you know, if you had a car accident, you could go and sue the other party and, um, you know, buy yourself a big screen TV if you got a big enough settlement or whatever it was, right? And, and you know, and of course, uh, uh, trial lawyers were, 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 were fundamental in that, in the fact that, you know, most, most people who were in a, you know, a serious accident would have a lawyer who would be representing them and there'd be that whole negotiations with the insurer. That's ended now. That ended in uh, 2019, 2020. So now we have no fault insurance. And so what happens now is that you cannot sue the other party anymore. You can mm. civilly sue them, but you cannot sue them through the insurer. Um, and so what has happened, though, is that the um, is that ICBC will now fund um, your treatments and resources that are necessary for you to get back to as much as a normal function as you had prior to the incident. So, so for massage therapy as an example, um, if you have a motor vehicle accident, you can go and see a registered massage therapist for 12 treatments, no questions asked. And then, and, and so, and, and this has been a little bit of a paradigm shift for some of our folks in the fact that with no fault insurance, and this doesn't go just for, um, massage therapist, but for chiropractors, basically anyone who's a health provider who was assisting motor vehicle accidents who are, are um, victims who are, you know, have ICBC is the fact that um, they've moved to a functional model. So in other words, they want to get you back as close to possible, as full functioning as, as, as you know, as necessary. So for some of our folks, what, what, what's happened now is ICBC now requires a treatment plan in order to get an extension. So in other words, you, your patient may have 12 treatments automatically, and that's 12 treatments, not just massage. That can be 12 treatments for massage, for chiro, for, or combination of them. Um, but once that 12 has been used up, then the practitioner needs to make application to ICBC through a treatment plan saying, okay, what, why do you need, you know, give us the rationale as to why you need more, more, more uh, treatments. And so, you know, the, uh, the RMTBC, we've created a, uh, a functional uh, scale document so that people can start to, uh, you know, use that information when putting their treatment plans together. Uh, the insurer themselves have, have tried to make it as easy as possible for practitioners in, in the fact that most of the uh, there's very little writing that's on the form. It's it's basically a one pager that you basically have drop downs and and start you know tell people you know so for instance somebody has a shoulder injury um, they only have you know thirty percent movement in that shoulder um, or, you know initially they may have had like fifteen percent now they're at thirty I think that a, you know a, a further five or ten treatments whatever it may be may get them to at least fifty or sixty percent that's what they're looking for and so we've you know so we've been working with our members. Um, along with ICBC, and we meet with, we have an ICBC liaison person we meet with every Wednesday for about an hour or so, just to talk about various issues that come up. And, you know, and I, and I think it's fair to say that some of our folks are, are struggling in the fact that this is a new requirement that wasn't necessarily there in the past. And so, you know, and, and I have to say that it's not something that's necessarily covered in their entry to practice program. So there's been a, learn, a learning curve that's occurring right now. But ult ultimately, um, and, and probably the most interesting part is that ICBC, uh, where where it used to be when you know when you were having litigation with with individuals, it was all about okay, well I'm 
in pain. Uh, I need to be compensated for that pain. Well, ICBC has moved away from that. Pain, pain's important, but it's not the only thing. And, and pain, you know, and I think from their perspective that pain, um, you know, pain can be created from a number of different things. It may not necessarily be from the injury that you got, you know, in the car accident. So they will take that under consideration, but the issue is really getting people back to as close to normality as, as, as humanly possible. And so that's, uh, so that's been, you know, so we have a lot of people who are, you know, kind of locked in the pain science thing and which is, which is great, but by the same token, that can't be just the focus, at least not with, with that particular insurer. And, and I would suggest that probably other third-party insurers are probably going to start moving towards that model as well, so that it's really about rehabbing an, an individual to get them to the point where um, they're able to, uh, you know, have, a, has, have as normal a, a life as, as possible and get back to being able to do some of the activities that they were doing prior to uh, their injury. Uh so I'm, I'm like way back in like 20 minutes ago, 25 minutes ago, when you said that you have a bunch of colleges that are being squished together to make fewer yes. colleges. Yep. Um, and the idea that one guy and one report made that happen is pretty funny as an American, I have to say, um, because that's, we get lots of reports and nothing happens. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask about the College that massage therapists are going in with the naturopaths and the chiros and the acupuncturists. How does everybody feel about that? Well, so I think, yeah, I think it's fair to say that some people are are disappointed in the fact that um, they're not necessarily looking forward to um, why, you know, why why is it that um, so, you know RMTs are being put in with the naturopaths or chiropractors? Why are they not being put in with the uh, physiotherapists? And 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 some of that, some of that, I think, is based on the fact that. The college that they are creating, which has a naturopath, chiros, and, and RMTs, is um, is the fact that those are all professions that don't work within the mainstream healthcare system in Canada. In other words, you don't find those people working in hospitals in acute care settings. Physiotherapists in, in British Columbia they work in both both private private and public um, system, and so. I, that's that's one of one of the rationales I believe that the, the government has used around this. So that's why you're coming up with that complementary and integrative health health college um, as their title. But um, you know, I think people are people. The government hasn't been really clear as to what rationale they use to determine that. Uh, and I think that's part of why people you know would like a little more consultation as to you know some explanations as to you know how did this all come about. But from my perspective, and I've been involved with the Ministry of Health for the better part of over 20 years now, is that um, you know if you're not if you're not in the mainstream system, and the mainstream system is quite different, at least in in in, in Canada, to um, you know to those who are working in um, in integrative or, or complementary uh, healthcare. And so you know, and, and I think from from the RMTBC's perspective, my board, we would like nothing better. Than to be able to have massage therapists uh, integrated into uh, the, uh, the the main system, and you know, and part of that is the fact that my job prior to coming here was actually recruiting um, physicians, nurses, and allied health professionals for the um, five um, health authorities in British Columbia. 
So, you know, I can tell you that there's, you know, there is an acute shortage of physiotherapists in British Columbia. Um, and, you know, my view is, is the fact that, you know, if you haven't got a physiotherapist, say, working in a long-term care facility, uh, why can't you have a massage therapist working in there, right, to do some of that work, um, you know? And so I think that that's kind of where things are moving. I know in Ontario, the Association Ontario, they've been working as well to try and see about getting uh, their registered massage therapists into the, uh, the main system. So I think that's the real opportunity that comes of, out of this. Um, and I think people would, you know, people would be excited about that in, in some cases, because of course, the people who work in the, uh, in the system, those are all unionized jobs, number one. And mm. so, so there's, you know, there's benefits, there's pension, there's all of these things that, you know, if you're working in your own clinic or as a, you know, in self being self-employed, you don't have the, those, um, uh, benefits. So, you know, I think for some people that, 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 you know, I think that would be attractive to them. I think for other people, they like to have their autonomy. And so, you know, and, and so much, much like the physiotherapists, some work in, uh, in, in, in hospitals and other ones work in, in their private practice. It was interesting. And in my last job, I was at uh, the university of British Columbia one day in the physiotherapy uh, uh, program to uh, introduce them to, you know, again, and my job is recruiting. And it was interesting that we had two, two they, they had two individuals for the students. One fellow ran his own clinic and one person worked at one of the uh, large acute care facilities in, in the lower mainland. And it was interesting um, how they both were, you know, the benefits and the downfalls of, of working in each of those environments. So, you know, so there's, 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 you know, there's the good and the bad. And then sometimes there's the ugly, depending upon where you end up. Definitely. Um, I had another question about the colleges. You mentioned that there was a fund for people who had been victimized by people, I assume, who graduated from that college or were part of that college. No, no. This is not, not something we yeah. have in America so, at all. So, so, what, so, yeah. so basically, maybe a, a little clarity here. So yeah. our regulators are called colleges. Mm -hmm. Our schools are, as much as they call them a, a college, I always try to say they're more of an institution, <laughs> right, or school, because I think, you know, it's too easy to kind of get the two confused. So the college, the regulator, the government in the new legislation is putting forward that the colleges will have to have a fund for individuals who are have been victimized by a registrant of their college, no matter what college it is, um, that they will be able to seek um, counseling services, you know, that the college will have to pay for the, the that counseling service or whatever, whatever it ends up being, um, which is a new thing, because at this point, uh, that that hasn't that wasn't the case. So I have a Scottish Terrier puppy in my room. So if you hear. Uh, uh, can we see? Can we see the yeah, puppy? Can we see the puppy? Well, I actually have two of them. Oh my gosh. Can we see both puppies? Uh, I saw that picture behind you and I was like, wait a minute. Oh my gosh. I love you. Little bugger. Hector is so cute. Like the Greek god. He's a warrior. He's six months old. That's that's him. And then Hamish is the other one. He's he's Hamish. He's six years old. So oh, so he's gotta teach Hector how to be a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So so this is this go. is why you should get Patreon, everyone. This is why. That's right. <laughs> That's right. You, you can see the pets. <laughs> totally. Um, so how does how does victimization get 
uh, decided? Like a person obviously brings a claim and then, I mean, is there like a trial type engagement? Yeah, so, or so basically, I mean, I, you know, I don't know how this fund is going to work because it, that, that hasn't been, you know, disclosed or developed to any great extent other than it's in the legislation. But currently, if you are a patient or client and you've been, you feel that you've been violated in some way, shape, or form, what you do is you have to write a formal complaint to the regulator, and the regulator will then investigate it. And if there's merit to it, uh, they will then um, have a, they have an inquiry committee that will then uh, assign the investigator first off um, that will happen. And then the uh, findings of that, and, and usually during the investigation, there's interviews that are held with the victim, there's interviews with the individual who the, the uh, um, report has been put against. Um, and in most cases, at least with the massage therapist, those investigations are conducted by lawyers. Um, you know, so, so that happens. And then depending upon what happens with the, in, with the uh, investigation. So if there is some merit to, the, to, that, to that claim, then what can happen is that there can be what's called a consensual agreement with the registrant, in other words, you know, you let's say, for instance, you, uh, I know you, you, you swore at your patient. Let's 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 do that, right? And so, what'll happen is you you admit that you know you lost your cool and uh, and I you know I shouldn't have done that. It was unprofessional of me to have done that. So I will now have to go and do some remedial work. I'll have to take a you know go back and look at my code of ethics. I'll have to go and take a course on ethics or on professional behavior, um, you know, whatever it may be. And in fact, you may even be monitored by the college for a set period of time that you need to report into them to, to make sure that you're, you're on back on the right track. Um, you know, in more serious cases, depending upon, you know, if it's a, of a, a sexual assault nature, in most cases, what happens is the claimant not only will make a, uh, put a, the, the complaint into the regulator, but they'll also put it into the uh, police. And in which case, normally what happens is the police investigation will take place first and the college will sort of wait to see what the findings are of that and then may, per, may proceed from there. Um, you know, the unfortunate part is in, in British Columbia is that um, we've had over the last, well, I've been here six years now. And so over that last six years, we've had a large number of malpractice complaints put in to our uh, about our members and and that's resulted in our liability insurance increasing because you know and I, and I can tell you that you know in uh, 2019 um we collected because we we actually have the the optional insurance is is flows through through us and so you know we collected $700,000 in in insurance premiums the insurer ended up paying out over Five, almost six hundred thousand dollars in legal costs to deal with those complaints, and it, and it ran the, the gamut of you know from sexual misconduct to professional misconduct to um, you know incompetence, uh, the litany of things, right? And so you know insurers look at that and they go, you know, most insurers, at least in Canada, you know, they want to try and keep that at a forty percent level on their on the claims ratio, right? Like forty yeah. and below is great. Anything yeah. above 40, uh, you're a liability and I don't want to cover you. So in fact, in British Columbia, um, we, you know, our, our broker 
had to uh, go out and, you know, we, every year we renew our, our, uh, ins- you know, our malpractice insurance provider, the underwriter. And uh, we had some underwriters that wouldn't, not interested. Sorry, you guys are a problem. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, uh, so, you know, so from, from my perspective, and, and I think it's probably my, because of the background of having worked as a regulator with the nurses is the fact that I think you need to be, I think that if, if, if anyone ever asked me a recommendation for this profession in this province, I think it would be that the regulator needs to be, you know, more preemptive in helping to support good practice. In other words, developing better resources and easily accessible resources so that people don't fall off the track, right? You need to be proactive in, 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 in that regulatory world. And I, and I think that, you know, and, and, and I don't, you know, I don't mean to be blowing the horn of nurses here, but I have to say that I think for the most part, they're, they're stellar at that. They, they, they understand that, you know, you really do need to have those resources. So people have easy access to them. They're understandable. They're able to put them into practice. They have, they feel supported in their practice. Um, And so, you know, so I think that, you know, the more that that can happen and, and hopefully that may be one of the benefits that comes of this amalgamation of the colleges, because some of those colleges that are being merged are good supporters of that model. And so, you know, maybe it will be a little bit of a learning for, you know, the massage therapists um, group uh, within that, that amalgamation that they can, you know, start to get some of those tools and the toolkits so that people have the ability to do that. Because I know like, you know, working with the LPNs, um, you know, we had a number of things. We had uh, a, uh, a self-assessment tool for um, medication administration. We had uh, a clinical assessment, um, self-assessment. We had practice guidelines, practice directives, all of those things so that people, you know, they kind of knew the rules of engagement, right? And and, and, and and I can say this is the fact that, you know, I had 10,000 registrants. Yeah. I only ever had one discipline hearing. <laughs> Yeah, among nurses. Right? And you have, there's more than 3,000 registrants We've in got, BC? There's 6,000 there's 6, RMPs 6, in the province of BC. Just and, in BC. And okay. Just in BC, yeah. And so, you know, so I sit there and go, okay, well, 10,000 nurses, who, let, and, and let's be honest here, nurses can do grievous harm, much, Definitely. much, much greater extent than massage therapists, right? Yeah. Um, and that's not to, and that's not to, um, you know, deny the importance of massage therapy, but it's just the nature of the, of the job. Right. Yes. Um, and so, you know, t- to not provide that, you know, that level of, of, um, of resources, I think is a shortcoming and, you know, and, and, and I think people, you know, people, my experience has always been at least from a regulatory perspective is that people will follow the rules if the rules are clear to them and easy for them to get and, and even easier for them to understand. Right. And, 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 and if they feel, you know, the fact that they, they feel supported in their practice so they can pick up the phone, maybe they don't, you know, they're not feeling comfortable with what it is they're doing at that particular point in time with, with a patient or with a colleague or whatever the case may be. And, um, and this will allow, you know, that having those resources allows them to be able to stay on the right track, right. Before it becomes an issue. Um, You know, I know that uh, it was only in, it was only 2018, 2019, that the College of Massage Therapists here hired a uh, practice advisor 
you know, and, and I, I, I have to tell you that, you know, with the, with the College of Licensed Practical Nurses, I had three of them, right? And, yeah. and, 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 and so, you know, so we're getting calls, you know, from, from LPNs, we're getting calls from nurse managers, we're getting calls from administrators who, you know, issues come up in the workplace, issues come up in the practice setting. And so, you know, to be able to be proactive and say, hey, this is, you know, here's some things that we can work on and, 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 and get this person back on the right track. I think that's, that's what you want. Um, one of the things that I find interesting within, you know, my, uh, my time with the uh, RMTs is the fact that, um, and, and my board is, has been supportive of this, is, is the fact that we're trying to build a more collegial atmosphere and, in, in, you know, environment. And I think part of the, Part of the struggle, of course, is that, you know, for the most part, RMTs are autonomous in their practice, right? And they, they work <laughs> right. in isolation. Yes. And I think that that's a bit of a detriment, personally. Definitely. And because yep. I think what happens is people don't feel that they can go to somebody up here and say, hey, I don't know whether I'm doing this right, or I don't know, you know, is this is this what I should be doing? And we get, you know, and, and one of the things that, you know, my... Um, my predecessor here at the association, um, she recognized that. And, and in fact, you know, um, we were initially, until such time as the college had a practice advisor, we were acting in that in that role as the association, which is inappropriate, <laughs> really, right? It's not our role. We're not the regulator, you know. And 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 so, you know, but it was but it was to fill that gap. Uh, we don't do that anymore. Um, they have now they have two two practice advisors, which is great. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, having a more collegial um, group and, and I think is, is, is something that, you know, we're trying to work on um, as an association, because um, I always find it interesting, you know, in my in, in my job of recruiting healthcare professionals, I always thought it was interesting. I could go down to New Orleans to a to a uh, pharmacy conference or I could go to a nursing conference in uh, in Boston or wherever I was going and I always found it fascinating that you would see people there who had left the profession but they were still engaged like I'm a pharmacist from now to eternity right and I'm a nurse <laughs> until that point right and, and and I can recall you know seeing you know nurses in a wheelchair I mean they're you know they're in their 80s still proud to be a nurse still want to be connected with their colleagues and I think that that's something that I think should be important to massage therapists, whether you're in a regulated or unregulated environment. You know, I think that the more the more collegial um, it becomes, the more people feel supported. It's that other p. It's that other pillar, you know, that supports the profession as, in its entirety. Um, and I think that that's you know again m maybe you know having that. Uh, would help with getting regulation in those other provinces so that, so that, you know, people don't look like they're, you know, doing their own thing. Yeah. I, 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 I'm probably being very provocative here, but. <laughs> well, no, I'm really, I'm, I am glad that you're saying these things because these are, these are the questions that we're always asking and, and sort of, you know, I'm thinking about that sense of competition, that sense of sort of like, we'll call it autonomy um, mm -hmm. in our most kind sense really leads to a lack of that collegial atmosphere. I mean, I can think, I can count on one hand, like the number of places that, you know, a lot of this of course happens online, but where you can go and say, I don't know a thing. 
and not get just blasted either for yeah. not knowing it or with like, you must study with this person or you're an idiot kind of like, you yeah. know, sense. And it's like, there are lots of ways to do this work. There are also some, there are some bright lines about, yes, this is the way to do this. And this is the way to not do this. And, you know, we talk, I don't know if in Canada, um, you all have this, but we talk a lot about, you know, in social work and psychotherapy, you have to engage in a supervision relationship where to be able to continue to practice, you have to work with, you have to have like regular monthly periodic check-ins with a more experienced practitioner mm -hmm. where you talk about what's going on in your practice and they right. provide guidance. And we don't have any kind of structure like that for massage therapy. So you have wide variability in how long you're in a structured school environment. And then you just go off in your little bottle into the ocean and hope for the best. And yep. I no, think I, unless no, you... I, I completely agree with you. And I think that, you know, and, and what's interesting, again, is, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, in, in this province, I mean, RMTs have autonomy, total autonomy in their in their practice. I mean, there's nobody supervising them. And, and, and sometimes I, you know, I I'm of the view that, you know, having a, a strong mentorship program. I think would be helpful, and 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 I would I would suggest that you know some of the larger clinics and and clinic owners would be well advised to look at setting up a mentorship program, which is which basically you know if you um, you know again you know in my past I was working with uh, developing mentorship and preceptorship programs for some of the other health professions, and um, you know once you train people to be a proper mentor. And, you know, and, and have the rules of engagement around, you know, this is what a mentor is all about. And this is what a mentee's responsibilities are. I think that you can leave a legacy within that organization because you now, you know, as an employer, I can now say, well, Cal, you know, Cal is understands how to be a, a appropriate mentor. If I bring in a new person to do a, a proper orientation, I can have Cal there from day one being able to support that person and that person who, who's now come on board feels supported. They know that they can go and say, Hey, I'm not clear with, you know, how does this work or what's the, you know, what's the policy around this or whatever the case may be. Absolutely. So, you know, so, you know, and again, I think that also would build that level of, of collegiality. And, 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 you know, I, I'm of the view that most people will not fall off the track if they feel supported and if they feel that, you know, they're, they're, you know, they, I mean, all of us can fall off the track. I don't care who you are. You know, it, it doesn't take much to, you know, sometimes make a little mistake that becomes a big issue. Definitely. And so, you know, to try and mitigate that as much as possible, I think is the, you know, the, the, the rules that I would like to see. And, and to do that is by, you know, having things like such as a mentorship program, having, you know, people having a, a, a formal orientation, um, you know, into a, a clinic or whatever the case may be. I mean, I, I find it, you know, fascinating, like even, even within uh, the context here that, you know, people graduate from their program and you're absolutely right they get thrown into the deep end of the pool and we don't know whether they can swim or not <laughs> you know and so you know and 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 and, and you got to sit there and go where's the level of fairness in that um you know one and and one of the things that you know I, I'm 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 not a supporter of Facebook I don't believe Facebook should be used for the purposes of of professional guidance <laughs> Oh, from your ears to, or from your mouth to the ears of the profession. 
you know, I just, I just don't, I just don't, I don't see that as being appropriate. And I think it leads to, as you were just alluding to, is the fact that you have people who, you know, use that for a sounding board, whether they're right or wrong. And, you know, and I can say that, you know, we, we, we try and, uh, and stay off of Facebook here, uh, at least at the association, because I, I just find it, you know, this is going to sound really bad, but it's almost a cesspool at times. It, it's disheartening. You know, yes. and, it, and it's, it's, it's this, you know, it's, it's this thing of, you know, f- people feeling browbeaten and, you know, and, and, and you're right, you know, somebody doesn't like that particular technique or didn't like that particular course. Okay, well, you know what? My mom always told me if I don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes. You know, but that, but unfortunately, I guess she, my mom's comment didn't get out to some other of my friends, but Indeed. You know, it's, it's the, the fact is, is that, you know, people go on there and, and they're being, in some cases are being given wrong information. And, and, and that just, you know, increases the likelihood that there's going to be a, even a bigger problem. Absolutely. Um, you know, and and it's not the place to go. I mean, you wouldn't find a physician going there. I mean, I know here we've we've seen examples where they're talking about patients. I mean, in one case, um, they were talking about a patient, and I mean, other than putting their name there, I mean, I probably could have found out who this person was. Yeah, and, and that's not appropriate. No, um, for sure. You know, and 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 it, and it really degrades the profession. I think in some ways, you know, people look at that and they go, like, what what are these people doing? <laughs> right. Absolutely. You well, know, and that brings me to, I mean, so you were talking before about people who can apply uh, sort of like through a portfolio process if they mm-hmm. haven't um, graduated from a recognized program. Yep. And that almost always you said there's a knowledge gap. And I'm curious yes. if you can talk a little bit about are there specific things that are like typically missing or sort of what is the what are the differentiators between the folks who have gone through a program like that and those who haven't? Yeah. So, so basically, um, you know, back in the day, the, uh, they had a 3000 hour program in British Columbia, then it was taken down to 2200 hours. So it works out to, you know, just about two years of, of, of schooling. Um, Most of the people who cannot complete the prior learning assessment are people who've taken a program that is considerably less than the 2200 hours. So, you know, it runs the gamut of, you know, not necessarily having, um, you know, a full understanding of anatomy and physiology to, you know, basically techniques to, uh, you know, muscular skeletal structure, all sorts of things. Right. So, um, you know, it's hard to say exactly, you know, each one is different, but by and large, they're people who have not taken the full program. And so I know, and I can tell you that even within the full program that we have here, um, there's a large push by a lot of the, uh, a lot of our members, they would like to see the program um, enhanced and and updated. So you know, and 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 from my perspective, I would like to see an end to the hours thing. I'm all about let's let's have this being competency based. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that you know in British Columbia that's unfortunate is that there's no prerequisites to get into the program. Mm, same. And I think that that's another piece that has led into the increase in the number of complaints that are being lodged. Um, you know, when I talk to some of my senior staff who, you know, they've been around for quite some time, they used to have prerequisites before they could get into the program. Yeah. And so, you know, so you, you look at that and you say, well, you know, why is it that if I want to become a physiotherapy assistant, I have to do my, my anatomy and physiology before I get to walk into that classroom to be being that assistant. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't, and I, and I think that that would weed out some people who maybe this isn't necessarily 
the job for them, right? Yeah. You know, because, you know, it, it, trying to gain that knowledge along with, you know, everything it takes to be a healthcare professional, I think you're asking a lot of people, <laughs> right? And, and, and so, you know, and, and of course, you know, here, the majority of our schools are, uh, are private, privately owned. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so that, you know, it also begs the question, like, is that, you know, is it, is that, a, is there a requirement that there should be more rigor uh, mm. around some of this stuff or, or you know, or not? Um, I mean, I find it interesting in, in, in BC that, you know, a lot of the instructional staff, um, you know, and, and I can say this because we, in fact, have a bursary for individuals to get their provincial instructor's diploma, mm. uh, which is, which, you know, which, which is interesting because if you want to work at, uh, say, BC Transit, which is the, uh, the Metropolitan Bus Line, or you want to work uh, for uh, uh, BC Ferries or something, and you want to be an instructor in their, you know, trades program or something there, you have to have that certificate. And yet, you have people teaching in a health profession who don't necessarily have that level of credential. And, you know, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I, there's, there's lots of great instructors. But there's also the fact is that you could be an awesome RMT, just like yep. you could be an awesome nurse or an awesome doctor or whatever case, engineer, but doesn't make doesn't you a good teacher, <laughs> you a good instructor, right? I mean, if you yeah. don't understand how, you know, the basics of adult learning and you don't understand, you know, curriculum development and, 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 and putting together, you know, learning plans and all of those kind of things, that's, that's a, a big burden put on somebody, right? Yep. And, and, or not. I mean, this is, I, I feel like they're not even held to that in, in many cases here. Um, we yeah. really don't have a standard instructor training mm -hmm. requirement. And yeah. so people are just making it up as they go along in a lot of yeah. cases. Yeah. And, that, and, you know, and I think that, you know, and, and I think that sometimes that may be maybe why, you know, when you, you look at, uh, you know, you, you look at some folks who have begun that path um, and then they stop. And I think part of that is because they're not getting any satisfaction out of it because they're struggling in being a proper instructor, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I had a, a position as the associate director at one of the uh, the uh, public um, post-secondary colleges here, and uh, in their in in our continuing ed programs, you weren't allowed to teach in there unless you had that certificate or or an equivalent or at least working towards that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I think that you know again. You know, it, to move the profession ahead, this profession, yes. I think that that kind of, th that should be um, encouraged. I think people should be encouraged to do that. And I know from, you know, from my board's perspective, we're prepared to pay three quarters of the program for some, wow. you know, so, so, we, you know, the, the program costs in inwards about $4,000. Well, you know, we'll give them $2,500 to, to go into the program. Yeah. But unfortunately, we haven't had one person. Ugh. You know, and, and yeah. so I, you know, so I, I, I look at that and I go, you know, come on guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. It is like pushing the river sometimes. Yeah. Well, and, and again, I, you know, it's just, it's that issue of job satisfaction. It's that issue of retention. It's yep. the issue of, of preparing people appropriately and properly so that when they get out into practice, they feel confident, um, you know, and, and, you know, I think it's it, it can only be a win-win by by encouraging that. Absolutely. 
Oh, there's so many like iceberg tips that we've just like that we could we could do an hour on each of these topics, but that just means that you're we're gonna have to sucker you back in to talk to us some more another time because I think these are I, I love and hate that when we have like when Lori Green comes on when you come on that the idea that we have here that like Canada's got it all figured out and that it's like we all struggle like they're humans the common denominator is humans and they're hard to wrangle like. Yeah. You know, so well, and I think that, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I think, you know, for this profession, if I may say this, is is the fact that as I, I think people, I think people have tried to do the right thing, but they didn't necessarily know what the right thing was, and so you've got all of these great ideas and and all of these sort of interventions and pieces that, that, to put this puzzle together, um, but not necessarily in the proper order. And so, you know, I, I was at our uh, Canadian Massage Therapy Association meeting in New, uh, Newfoundland recently. And, uh, you know, there's the, the talk about wanting to uh, to revisit the competency profile. And, and I can tell you that from my experience, the competency profile for massage therapy in Canada needs to be rejigged because it doesn't look like anybody else's competency profile mm, interesting so that's number one <laughs> but but you know one of the things that i find interesting also with the group is that they don't look to see what other people have done it's like they want to reinvent the wheel and i have to say this I, and i said Bingo. this at the meeting, and i said this at the meeting with all the leadership of all the other associations stop drinking your own bath water. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's you know, like, weird. Always like, saying, oh, you know, if you've got, if, if somebody else has, 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 has done this, you know, and like, everybody if, else has. Yes. Yes. A whole bunch of people have. <laughs> and so instead of, you know, instead of coming out there with the machete, trying to, you know, cut down your own path here, you know, and getting, you know, getting tired and sweaty doing it. Why would you not take the easier route, which is to say, Hey, you guys already did this. How can I learn from that? Right. You yes. know, like, and, and we've experienced that here. I mean, we, you know, we have the uh, Canadian uh, uh, Massage Therapy Accreditation uh, Council, you know, the, which is uh, and, and that was all developed um, around massage therapy. Well, the physiotherapists and occupational therapists and physiotherapy assistant, all of those education programs, they already had an accreditation organization. Yeah, and I know Kathy Ryan and I've talked about this. Oh, you know, I bet. And I've said, you know, why why would you guys go off and you know develop your own car when you could have rented one? <laughs> yes, no, I, I think we definitely. Well, and the thing about doing the right thing, I mean, I feel like this is the wall that we keep hitting in cycles. Here is that we we get together and we say this is the right thing to do, and then we go, oh, that looks hard. Never mind. And like it, it sort of falls apart in little pieces, yeah. and it, and and people say, oh, well, I'm already in here. I don't want to have to meet that standard. I've been doing this for this long. And so if you're going to raise the standard like that, then look at all these people you're going to leave out. And it's like, well, there everybody has a choice. Well, you can I, yeah. be left out or you can meet the new standard, but this is and where I we're headed. A, I can give you a real world example that I was involved in around that. Uh-huh. When I became the registrar of the College of Licensed Practical Nurses, LPNs in British Columbia did not have medication administration really to any great extent in their program. So even though they were administering drugs or being, you know, provided the opportunity to do such, yeah, um, you know, some of them had learned on the job. I mean, and, and this was a group of people who at the time had to, were supervised either by a registered nurse or a, or a medical practitioner. 
Mm -hmm. right? so, so somebody was overseeing them, unlike yeah. massage therapy. But what was interesting is that the national exam for an LPN in BC um, or in Canada was a two-part exam. British Columbia, people who graduate from the programs in BC could only write the first part of that exam. They could not write the second part because the competencies that were being tested in that second part of the exam were not in the program. So my board at the time made a decision that, you know what, we all need to get on the same page. And so that meant going out and developing a, uh, you know, a medication administration course, working with uh, the schools to develop that, um, providing, as I said, that self-assessment tool around, you know, medication administration, um, you know, and, 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 the, and the thing with medication administration, for the most part, it comes down to, you know, people not understanding the formulas that are required in order to, you know, have the right dosage. And yeah. so, you know, but, but what was interesting is that in doing so, we were able to get funding by the provincial government to pay for that upgrading of the current registrants. But we also put in place, the board put in place a requirement that you have four years to get this done. And if you don't get it done within that four years, guess what? You're no longer an LPN. And, 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 and of course, this was interesting because of the fact that a lot of the LPNs at that time had grandfathered from being care attendants into being licensed practical nurses. Oh, sure. And so we had people who were, I just, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't, I want to be a bedside nurse. I used to say, well, what the heck does that look like? No. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but nonetheless, um, you know, it came down to, as you say, Cal, people had a choice to make. They could either, they could either do that and become an, you know, a, a full-fledged member of the profession, or they could go back to being a care attendant, mm -hmm. right? Which is they're very honorable as well. Yeah, and definitely but, needed. But in doing that, in, in taking that approach, it was only because of that that LPNs then moved from well, registered nurses didn't want really anything to do with LPNs at one point in, in mm -hmm. British Columbia. It was like because because you never knew. If you were on a, 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 a med surgeon, as an example, you mm -hmm. never knew who was coming through the door. You know, they may have this much competence. They may have this much. Who knows? Right. And people would go to the lowest common denominator, yeah. which wasn't good for the profession or the individual. Yeah. So in taking that approach and, and, and putting that rigor in place. Now, LPNs are an integral part of the nursing family. They're well-respected. They have lots of opportunities now to be working in the operating room, working on transplant units, all of these things, but only because they were willing to meet that challenge and willing to do the work and the supports were there for them to be able to do it in a reasonable fashion. And I think that, you know, that same principle and concept would go well with this group. Um, you know, to, to, to be able to do that. And, and I, and again, you know, I go back to my little thing around collegiality is the fact that that helps to develop that collegial approach. Yep. Right. So, so that's, you know, that's kind of my, my, my food for thought. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I think we have a similar thing with nursing here where it really was a, a minimally regulated profession. And then from the fifties to the seventies, they really just said, nope, 
we're setting a higher standard. And now, I mean, doctors of nursing and there's just a completely different career trajectory for nurses and a different level of respect. And I think what we see here is that massage therapists are like, we need to be respected. And it's like, well, you got to earn respect. And, you know, you have to be willing, like you said, to do the work and make the commitment to each other. It takes work. And I, and I appreciate that people, you know, people get comfortable. We all get comfortable in our, in where we're at. And, uh, you know, and it's, and it's hard to, you know, it's hard to move off of that, you know, off of that position. But ultimately, if you want to get to where you really want to be, you're going to have to do that. Right. Yep. And, and, there's, you know, there's, there's, you know, but, but, but again, you know, making sure that things are in place so that people can go down that path without having to struggle to any great extent. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why, you know, we have that partnership with the Massage Therapy Foundation. I mean, for a long time, you know, in, in British Columbia and in Canada, you know, there was a, a feeling that, oh, you need, we need to create our own, our own research uh, um, group. And I'm sitting there going, well, why are we reinventing the wheel? You know, yep. it, it's all fine and well to have your own thing. Yeah. But, but I think, that, you know, when people come up with those kind of concepts, they're not recognizing that there's a whole infrastructure in place that needs to happen. And there's yes. a cost to that infrastructure. And most Absolutely. people don't want to pay that. <laughs> no. Well, and why waste that money if, like you said, the seeds are already planted yeah. and we can help yeah. this thing grow with our yeah, other energy? Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, massage therapy, um, it shouldn't be any different on either side of the border, ultimately. I mean, you know, yeah. and, 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 and if we want that to happen then, you know, let's partner uh, where we can and, and and allow for those that, you know, again, that collegial approach, um, nation to nation, if you like, around doing this to, you know, in support of the, in, in support of the profession. So, you know, we're happy that we have the relationship with the MTF. Um, you know, we're looking forward to, uh, you know, co-funding some research projects. I know their ergonomic program, we're going to have, be involved in that uh, on this side of the border. So, you know, Onward and upward. Indeed. Yes. Well, Gordon, it's always a pleasure uh, to hear your perspective and um, just to see the great work that you all are doing. So thanks for for being provocative and bringing it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that we'll be talking with you again. And I know we'll be doing things behind the scenes with RMTBC uh, well into the future. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, um, like I say, hope everybody, uh, you know, some food for thought. Indeed. Onward and upward. You got it. (laughs) Thanks, Gordon. Thank you. Interdisciplinary is produced by Heelwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, And you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.